You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning all. You're on 3CR Fire Up program. You probably worked it out, but we're not here at the moment. We're on a three-week siesta, having a break, and we'll be back on the second week of February the 10th. Andy here from the Fire Up program, 3CR. October 2020 marked 50 years since the collapse of the Westgate Bridge. We'll be bringing a three-part special from 3CR's 50-year commemorative broadcast, honouring the workers who were injured or lost their lives on the building of the Westgate Bridge. With each passing year, more detail emerged about the events that led to the collapse of the bridge and the tragic outcomes for the workers, their families and the local community. You're on 3CR. We take you now to the 25-year commemoration. Scott Ferris reports. On this day 25 years ago at approximately 11.50am on the morning of Thursday, October 15th, 1970, the Westgate Bridge collapsed, killing 35 workers. It was, and still is, Australia's worst industrial accident. 25 years today, the completed bridge is one of the world's finest. Its views rival that of the Golden Gate, Brooklyn and Sydney Harbour bridges. The whole structure is a work of art and a great feat of engineering excellence. Yet the price paid was far beyond any measured in dollars and cents. It cost 35 people their lives. There's different people who've got different ideas why it came down. But there's only one above that. The only the bloke and he's above. He's the only one who knows. None of us, because it was a bit of a mystery. Uh, I, the only thing I, 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 I can say about that is the men well, knew their job, but they hadn't put this type of bridge up on this uh, uh, in Australia before. So there's only one or two uh, officials who knew and they, uh, what was going on. And maybe the orders were flimsy, I don't know, but that was the first or the second part that went up and uh, it didn't go up too good. I don't know, I wasn't there, but as, as I say, uh, if the men had been used to doing that type of work, probably there would have been, would have been, wouldn't have been no bother. You are The year is 1970, the beginning of a new decade. The decade of change which was seen in the 60s continued, with moratorium marches in the city against the Vietnam War. Sir Henry Bolte was Premier of Victoria, and Carlton had just defeated Collingwood in the 1970 VFL Premiership. Astronauts were walking the moon with contempt, and the carpenters topped the charts with the song Close to You. Work on the Westgate Bridge began in 1968. At the time, Melbourne's west was connected by Footscray and Dynan Roads and by a primitive chain ferry based at Newport, which crossed to Port Melbourne. Housing land and industrial plants based in the west needed a bridge crossing at the Lower Yarra to connect the southeastern suburbs with the western suburbs. The bridge was to be high enough not to disrupt the shipping traffic passing through the Yarra and to provide an efficient throughway for road transport. Two construction companies were involved in the construction process, 
John Holland Constructions and Dutch firm World Services Construction. The design engineers were Freeman Fox and Partners. The bridge was to be a cable-stayed bridge with steel box girders. The completion date was 1971, yet on October the 15th, timelines changed. Well, I was on the other side of the river, which is only a few yards away. I heard a, a, an, an almighty crack, and when the bridge actually come down, that piling over there had pushed that piling towards the water, and that went towards me. Uh, and what happened was there was a, a work boat going across to take people backwards and forwards. When the bridge collapsed, he'd done a U-turn, picked us up, and we were here probably within two or three minutes of the actual bridge collapsing. And what was the site that greeted you when you first uh, got here? Well, I've never been in I've never been in a world war. It was probably probably something like a world war. There was uh, there was bodies everywhere. There was bits of bodies, and the main, the thing that killed a lot of people were the actual fire. The whole bridge caught on fire, and that killed actually more people than the actual collapse. Now, with the uh, Royal Commission that was that was uh, that eventuated due to the accident. Um, were you involved in any of the Commission's uh, inquiry at all? No, I wasn't involved with the Commission inquiry, but my understanding of the Royal Commission, it was really set up in them days to blame the trade union movement um, and the rank and file on the job for the actual cause of the accident. But as the Royal Commission went on, it certainly developed that the workers had uh, no input to the accident whatsoever. What about the um, process of box uh, girder construction? Do you think that it was that the, the practices that were in place were, were proper? The, practice, the reason why it collapsed because the practices weren't in place. What they done here was they jacked up two sections of the bridge. When they jacked the first section up, it was all buckled and twisted. So what they'd done was they spent a bit of money and they put in RSJs and steel to strengthen the second side. When they got to the top of the piers, they tried to bolt them together. One side was buckled and one was straight. So what they done was they tried to take bolts out, like a piece of rope, to take the buckle away. And the more bolts they took out, the holes disappeared, the steel went blue, and with the actual weight of the box girder, it just, just, fell, just fell apart. Tom Watson, bridge worker, who was there in 1970. Another bridge worker was Patrick Hannafrey, and he describes the mood of the workers at the time of the collapse. Well, everyone was happy, everyone was working. Up, up till uh, it, it fell, it fell about 10 to 12. We come down the lift there. And as we come down the lift, we walked out of the lift. Two men walked over towards the toilet. One man went over towards the, the first aid. And uh, three of us went out towards the roadway and we seen the bridge coming down. Yeah. We've seen the bridge coming down. How close were you with the actual... Well, you can see, there was the lift was out there, the bridge came down here, and we were there, what, 20 feet away. And how did you survive it? Did you get thrown clear or...? No, we didn't get thrown clear. We, we were all right. It was one of the chaps come underneath, Eddie Halsell, he got blown clear and uh, clear. And what was the sound like? I mean... Well, I tell you the honest truth, uh, it wasn't the sound that we heard, it was uh, the noise of uh, bottles and uh, gas bottles blown up, things like that, you know, screams, you know. You must have been in a state of shock when the thing came down. Well, we were in a state of shock because most of them were all, well, well every one of them were all friends, we were all very good friends, you know. 
Were you able to help in the rescue operations? Oh yes, yes. I went out here and, um, to help the priest and a, a doctor. Um, there was one of the lads, um, young Ross. He was a carpenter, and he was out here. He got killed, and we helped in the up till 12 o'clock that night digging out underneath here. You know. What? Was it a stroke? It must have been a stroke of luck that you survived. Oh, definitely it was a stroke of luck. It was only just a matter of seconds that we got into the lift. The lift only took a few seconds to come down. The lift went back up. He didn't know anything about it, the lift driver. What was working life like on the bridge itself like? What were some of the tasks you had to do? Well, we done mostly. We done all the segments, the other side of concrete. That's what we done. That CD's here. We were putting all the concrete segments up, and now my winch was on top of the steel. It collapsed. And how high were you? Did you have to go to to build these concrete sheets here? Oh, the height it is. You know, we lifted from the ground and put them on top. You know. Did you have any sort of, with retrospect, did you have any sense that it was the bridge was going to come down? Oh no, no way, no way. No, if, if we knew it was going to come down, we wouldn't be up there. Did What was the communication like between the engineers and the workers? Good, very good, very good. Yeah, They all spoke to one another, told us what was happening. What's the next job? Did you work on the bridge after it was started up again, when the work started up yes. again? Yes, yeah, so I was sec third man back when we started and what went through your mind when you started work that day? Oh, a lot. A lot of a lot of my friends that got killed and but still we we had to get it finished. Had to be finished. Patrick Hannafrey, bridge worker, recalling the events of October fifteenth, nineteen seventy. When the bridge fell, there was the obvious need for first aid. Councillor Matt Harris, who worked at the SCC in Newport, was a trained member of the St John's Ambulance and recalls that fateful day. I was sitting down when I first heard the, the noise. It sounded like an aeroplane uh, breaking a sound barrier. Now, I never even give it a thought, but the next thing was this terrible crash. And... Our first aid room was set up in a big brick building in the garage. They had uh, first aid shutters. Uh, if anyone wanted immediate uh, first aid, they'd just press the button in their workshop, wherever it might be, and the shutter would drop. And I went out and had a look, and all the shutters were there. So I'm standing there, and uh, a chap by the name of Bill Webb came around, one of my first aid team, and he said, Doc, the they used to call me Doc. Hey, Doc, he said, the bloody bridge has collapsed. I said, you're going to be joking. He said, no. I said, right, go and get, go and uh, team up our first aid team. So we had a top class first aid team. Most of them belonged to our local division at St John's. So what happened, I was entering records, uh, injury records in my first aid report. And the next one came in was Jack Morrison from the laboratory. And he said, hey, Matt, got to do something quick. The bridge is gone. He said, I said, right, 
grab a couple of vehicles, he grabbed a couple of trucks, and I said, get the boys, they were there, and they loaded everything out of the first aid room, stretchers, you name it, dressings, everything. Uh, I led them in, and as I got down there, the first thing I saw uh, was a chap, I suppose he'd be, in normal life, he'd be about six foot, and he'd be no more than four foot, because I'd say that he'd either been thrown or fell into the middle of the road. Broke every bone in his body, without doubt. And the officer in charge said, no, no one's allowed in, no vehicles. And I said to him, first aid team coming in. Oh, you beauty, he said, quick. So the first aid team fired in. Now, what, what that team done was unreal. Stewie Granger, Billy Webb, I could go through, Clary Marshall, different ones that were in that team. They excelled. They did a marvellous job. Now, what I did when I got there, right, I had to set up a mortuary as well as a first aid. So I used along the fence, uh, it was a bit brighter. I used that and it was softer. I used that for the first aid and I used the couple of fire carts came in and I used them as a barrier and put the deceased on the road. Now, the boys, they worked. They worked until they were tremendous. Helped to wash the patients down who were covered with all the slime. And I've, I could say it, but it's going over there and I don't want to. But oily, drum slime, you name it. They were bringing them up out of, out of that time. And that, some of them were still alive. Matt Harris, one of the first people to provide first aid on the disaster site at the Westgate Bridge. News of the disaster spread rapidly through the town of Melbourne, and in particular the western suburbs. Workers whose jobs were near the Westgate site rallied and headed for the disaster area and offered their assistance for the rescue operation. Bernard Dominey, a labourer and rigger, was stationed at the BP ore refinery when he heard the news of the disaster. Boys told me the bridge had gone down and I see a puff of smoke. So it goes in the, in the mess room and I says to the boys, well, we go, are we going to go down there, give them hand? And they said, oh, the, the union said everything's OK and if they want any help, we'll, uh, they'll tell us. I said, bullshit, I said. I said, I'm going down. If you don't bother to come down behind me, I says, don't bother to talk to me in the morning. So I walked down, down the bridge. I, I went down, rode the, uh, the lift down. And I was halfway up the in the PRA area, coming to the road. There was a shout, Bernie, we're behind you. So the, the shed had emptied itself out, and we filled up two cars, and we come down to the bottom, and they said, how are you going to get through? I said, well, he said, the police will stop you. And I said, no worries. And when the police did come and stop me and say, where are you going? I says, uh, World Service Rescue Party. And that got a lot of us in that, that did. And uh, we put, they said, park the cars on the side there. And they took us up in the Land Rover. And from there, from there on, the boys done their bit or whatever was needed. So what were your first impressions of uh, seeing the site? I was, well, just, just seeing it from the cat cracker. That was uh, not knowing if my mates, what, 
what, what ones of my mates were dead or anything like that. And I had to be down there with, uh, to have a look, like, you know, to, to find out. And if I could give hand, that's what, what we do. That's, that's all I, I did. I'm just a labourer myself, a rigor labourer, you might call me, and uh, Mills, Mills Scaffolding Company sent a big tr load, truckload of scaffold planks which were laid all over the oily surface on top of the on top of the bridge so people could walk around we done them and pulled up a few uh stood a few things up and stayed them up with a bit of rigging work and that and you know love old bits of rubbish that I'd need cleaning up and uh, to give the access for the rescue party Bernard Dominey, labourer and rigger, who was one of the many workers to help with the rescue operation. It was a fortnight strike and the damn thing collapsed and now the damn thing's happened, isn't it? And it's killed about 28 of our mates. And they're all laying underneath that, in the mud. I just lost my best mate, hundred. He's hundred. He's hundred. My mate's hundred. My mate's under the bastard. What's going to happen to his wife and three kids? Honestly. Worst thing that's ever happened in this bloody state. They're pulling out. They're pulling out an hour. They're pulling out. We're all pulling out an hour. I want to keep cutting it open, but they say no. They just, they just said they're all dead. An immediate Royal Commission investigation was announced by the then Victorian Premier, Sir Henry Bolte, who was quoted in the Melbourne Sun as saying, No time will be lost in setting up a Royal Commission to clear the air on this tragedy. We think a commission is necessary to establish all the facts to find out who was at fault. Sir Henry said the commission would be chaired by a judge who would advise the government on the desirable terms of reference and what help he needed. The Royal Commission was chaired by Mr Justice Barber of the New South Wales Supreme Court. At the time of the collapse, blame was placed on technical faults and not design. Lower Yarra Crossing Authority Chairman Mr O.G. Meyer said, I believe it is a technical fault and Victorian Liberal government officials were quoted as saying it was a construction accident. Yet the Barber Royal Commission was to prove otherwise. Design practices were at fault. The immediate cause of the collapse appears to have been a serious buckle which had developed in the central plate joining the two halves of the box girders. To make construction easier, each complete box section was prefabricated in separate halves, hoisted into position and bolted together. A serious mismatch had occurred between the halves of the west cantilever section and some 60 tonnes of concrete ballast had been placed on the higher section to deflect it the four and a half inches necessary to make the join. The alternative would have been a time-consuming and thus expensive jacking operation. The buckle which had appeared as a result of this procedure was in fact being investigated when the bridge fell. This was brought about due to similar steel box girder constructions collapsing in Milford Haven in Wales, which killed four men. Another bridge in Germany collapsed crossing the Rhine, and another bridge in Vienna crossing the Danube also collapsed. After the Milford Haven and Westgate Bridge disasters, in Britain the committee was chaired by Dr Merrison, which set out to improve design and construction practices. The designing engineers Freeman, Fox and Partners were to bear the brunt of the Royal Commission's findings. Justice Barber concluded in his report by saying, While we have found it necessary to make some criticism of all the other parties, Justice of them requires us to state categorically that the greater part of the blame should be attributed to Freeman, Fox and Partners.
After the findings of the Royal Commission and engineering plans redrawn, it took around 18 months for work to recommence on the Westgate Bridge. Work practices had drastically improved and bridge worker Danny Garden described the working environment. It was probably, uh, uh, worker-wise, it was probably the, the, probably the best job that I've ever worked on, um, health and safety-wise, uh, um, industrial militancy, a lot of things came out of the Westgate because of uh, the, the industrial action and the, and the militancy of, of workers on this job. Do you think that safety conditions have improved since the uh, disaster? Oh, of course they have, but with the latest Kennett uh, attack on health and safety regulations, uh, they're trying to turn the clock back, uh, the Conservatives. But I suppose with the, the union movement, CFMEU and metal workers and, and the like, taking uh, the stand that they're taking uh, can only be better for uh, working people. Now, Danny, just structurally looking up, we're underneath the span that actually came down um, in 1970. What are some of the changes that were made uh, that you can tell us about just for the listeners in that? Well, uh, when I started, uh, underneath the, the bridge, underneath the pylons, there was uh, gantries to uh, make sure that the, uh, if anything did happen, there was some support if anything, uh, if anything went wrong. But uh, that was about it. Uh, they reinforced all the bridge. Um, all the steel part is all full of reinforcings. So if, uh, to make sure that it didn't happen again, what happened when the, on the collapse? And what do you think of it as a bridge, as a structure as itself, compared to, say, the Golden Gate Bridge and the Brooklyn Bridge? Do you think it stands amongst those bridges? Oh, of course I think it does. Uh, but I think it's not just the bridge itself. To me, the bridge is, is, uh, is, is a monument to working-class people. 35 people lost their lives on the West Gate. And the people who come along after, uh, it's a monument to those two working-class people who died on this job. Also, uh, one other fellow who... Uh, there was an, an accident on the other side who died because of a result of industrial action. So really there was about 36 people who, who lost their lives on this job. It's a monument to workers. It's more than just a bridge to me. And what are the thoughts that go through your mind? Are they some of the thoughts that go through your mind when you drive across the bridge? Yeah, I drive across it every day. And uh, you know, I come from the western suburbs. I lived in Yarraville, Williamstown. Uh, I see it uh, every day. I think it's a magnificent structure, and and its thoughts for me is uh, the camaraderie, the uh, the type of people who are on the job out of the Westgate. Uh, just um, when you think about the people who actually worked on the bridge, who ended up being uh, full-time union officials: uh, John Cummins, um, Tom Watson, Jimmy O'Neill, um, uh, Pat Preston, and jeez, uh, many, many more. Just, just, just that's just straight off the top of my head. Uh, Mick Young from. Uh, uh, others uh, just who actually worked on this job got a good grounding of industrial uh, activity and took it off into other places. Danny, what do you think the uh, bridge came down? What's your personal uh, belief? Why do you think that it collapsed? Oh, I think it's uh, well documented why it collapsed. Uh, the uh, engineer released every second bolt and it just couldn't handle it, and down it came. A, a tragic mistake, and the mistake cost him his life as well, and 34 others. Do you think lack of communication was one of the uh, causes of the, uh, the disaster? The guy wasn't around at the time, but uh, judging from my comrades who actually worked on the job, yeah, that was one of the issues for sure. Yeah, and what's your final thought, uh, Danny, being here today, and what are your sort of, sort of thoughts that go through your mind with the Westgate now? Oh, I think uh, you know, definitely the 35 people who lost their life, but coming from uh, such a tragedy, uh, made people more aware of health and safety on jobs and health and safety issues on the jobs and people standing up and having a go.
and making sure that it didn't happen to uh, other comrades in other industries, which unfortunately it did, but it certainly got people being aware. I think, as I said before, this it's a monument to, to people, and I think uh, when we look back in 10, 15, 20 years' time, it'll still be a monument for workers. Cr provides the best and most extensive coverage of industrial issues on Melbourne Radio. Um, there's been um, a massive recruitment going on this week. We're and, bringing um, in contract labour. They're out of a job. And We've been jeffed by ca the Kenner government in regards to standards. All we've got to remember is that we got locked out in the first position. Yeah. And now that they want today's back, been pretty hairy with police and um, police horses and then trying to break the ticket. Where we made, took up the, under the general program the thesis trade union business. In those days, taking up these issues was Help to keep it that way by becoming a 3CR listener sponsor. Phone 9 419 8377. Jim O'Neill was a worker on the recommencement of the Westgate Bridge construction. Well, I was the union organiser for the Metal Workers Union for the duration of the project. And after the collapse, I came and worked on the bridge as a boilermaker welder. Did you... were you here at any stage during the day of the collapse? Oh yes, I was here within an hour. I heard over the radio, on the car radio, at about 5 to 12 that it collapsed and I just turned round from where it was going and came straight down here. Was there any sense of an impending disaster? Oh, of course not. Had we have known that, we would have closed the bridge down. And what was the day like uh, in terms of weather-wise? What was... Uh, oh, it, was a f it wasn't as bad as it is today. There was no wind, no rain. It was a, a normal day. However, with the information that came out from the Royal Commission afterwards, a series of events occurred that ultimately led to the collapse. It was inevitable. What was working life like on the bridge? Well, it was a very militant job. Uh, about at peak there was 600 men worked on the project, but about a thousand must have gone through the job. The job went for about 10 years from start to finish. And like all construction jobs, they're extremely militant. And uh, the company took a hard line on a number of occasions, so there was a fair few disputes on the job. But nevertheless, they created on this site many of the standards that construction workers now enjoy. Were you aware of the Milford Haven disaster before the bridge came down? Yes, I was. Were any of the workers and unions notified about uh, what had happened over in no, the United we Kingdom? Read about it in the press. We saw in the press, and then we went and saw the company, Freeman Fox, and we received assurances that it couldn't happen here. What did you think of the concept of a box girder uh, construction? Do you think it was uh, something that could have been, uh, if it was done properly, it could have been done? Well, it is done. Yes. It's, that's a box-type girder bridge up there now. No, they're, uh, they're all over the world. Box-type girder bridges are, uh, are nothing unique. There's nothing wrong with the box-type girder concept at all. Now, what about communication channels between uh, the companies of the day, like uh, between John Holland uh, Construction, World Services Construction, and Freeman Fox and Partners? What was the, the channels of communication like between Worker and these companies? 
was fair before the collapse. It was very good after the collapse when they changed the companies and Freeman Fox and World Service got the arse and they brought in Dorman Long. Dorman Long was the company that built the Sydney Harbour Bridge and uh, they changed it all about and uh, on the, on, after the collapse the communications with the new company were excellent because we were dealing with experienced bridge builders. Just uh, looking at the bridge today, uh, what are some of the thoughts that run through your mind when you uh, have a look at the Westgate? Well, we've been coming down here every year since the collapse and holding small ceremonies. We're making a much bigger one this year, being the 25th anniversary. We're expecting three or 400 people here on the day. But I can recall, you know, this being a tangled mess of steel. There was, that weighs about 2,000 tonne came crashing down, knocked that pillar over into the river. And of course, on the day, there was bodies everywhere. I mean, all the dead were laid out just over there. The Salvation Army came and they had a, a tear truck there. There was just the injured and the dead were lying everywhere. It was mayhem, absolute chaos, blood everywhere. And just looking at the surroundings today, I mean, you wouldn't have known that something like that had it occurred? No, well it's 25 years have gone by hasn't it? And uh, nothing wrong with the bridge now. Do you drive across it? Yeah, frequently. Frequently. I have no hang-ups about driving across it. No. That was part two of our ongoing three-part series of the Westgate Bridge. Thanks for listening. Tune in for our next part you're on 3CR. We'll see you on the 10th of February. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.